John 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anna. Well, for this uh, season of Eastertide, <clears throat> which is the season, you know, of a few weeks right after Easter itself, we, we are looking at these episodes in the Gospel of John where the risen Christ meets with people, meets with his friends, his family, his disciples, and meets them in pretty human ways, connects with them in their sadness, their, their grief, their doubt, their fears. And because he's alive, we believe that Jesus is alive, that means that he can meet us in those human moments for us as well. And this morning, this morning I want uh, us to think about the fact that Jesus also meets us in our paralysis. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I, I want to set it up this way. I, some of you might know that uh, me and my three closest friends from college, about once a year we get together for a little reunion of sorts. We, we normally historically have stayed in this cabin on this farm right outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Beautiful, you know, mountains of western North Carolina. And we uh, have fun together. We go whitewater rafting. We've, we've done paintball. We've, you know, we, we eat well. We, we catch up on life. We pray together. We have fun. And this, there was one time maybe five, six, seven years ago. I can't really remember. We were hanging out at this farm and were decided that we would shoot skeet never shot skeet before, but my friend had shot guns and brought skeet, you know, the little, the little clay discs that you sling, which I think that's the technical name for it. You sling, sling the skeet. And uh, it's, a big, it's a big farm property. There's some houses and other, there's a neighborhood kind of back there to the, to the north, but to the south where we were shooting, it was clear and it was fine. And uh, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but, you know, somebody will sling the thing up in the air, and you follow it with a shotgun, and you bang, 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 and, if, you know, sometimes you hit it, and it blows up into a million pieces, and I don't know why it's fun, but it's exhilarating. When you, when you, when it explodes, I don't know if it's dopamine, I don't know what's happening, but something is exciting when that happens, and um, so we're doing this, and, you know, we're, we're getting a little bit more reckless as we go. We're, getting, we need, we're trying to challenge ourselves, make it more hard. We're, you know, adjusting the sling thing. And, we, you know, one of our friends standing farther away, flinging it a little bit more erratically. And one time my friend Blake had the gun, skeet flies up in the air, and it kind of cuts back. So now it's going behind him. And he's following it with the shotgun, unknowingly now shooting, bam, 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 toward these houses to the north of us. I, I don't know what happened to the skeet all I remember is hearing somebody yell from a distance, hey, you hit the house. And I and three of my friends immediately looked at each other 
and ran into the house and closed the door. Like, like what a toddler does hiding under a blanket when, when, when they know that they're in trouble. We were 35 years old when we did this. Thankfully, there was one adult in our group, my friend Russ, who walked over there to this neighbor. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. The house wasn't damaged. It was just the, the, the spray from the shotgun pellets rained down on the, the roof and freaked him out, and it was, it was fine. No harm, no foul, all good. Um, but what struck, what struck me about that moment, as I think about that story, is how instinctual it was for me and for my friends to just flee and then to just be frozen with fear and with shame of this moment of, oh my goodness, we're in trouble. And I know that that's a, that's, that's a unique, weird story, but that's, that is a universal feeling of feeling paralyzed by your own fear, frozen, uh, or, or feeling um, just paralyzed with your own guilt, your own shame, feeling, I, don't, I feel I don't know how to move forward. And if you zoom out and you think about this a little bit more generally, you can feel paralyzed with just fatigue, where you just wake up and you're just, I, I'm, I'm exhausted, I'm depressed, I don't have the energy to put one foot in front of each other to move into this day. You feel, you feel the paralysis of that. You can feel paralyzed in your, in your job, in your career, where it feels like this is, this is unsatisfying, but I don't know what else to do. I don't have anywhere else to go. I feel trapped, I feel stuck. You can feel paralyzed in your own marriage or in your you know, relationships, where you feel like we're just in a rut. We're in this cycle of hurt, and we cannot break the cycle. We can't get out. We're just stuck. You can, you can feel... Um, paralyzed just as a Christian following Jesus and like you want to do something good, but when you look at the needs around you, you look at Memphis and you just see the overwhelming poverty, you see the racial injustice, you see the needs that are just, just, it's so massive. You're like, I don't even know, where do you begin? What do you even do? Stuck. What does the risen Christ have for us in our stuckness, this feeling of paralysis for whatever the reason? Well, I want to show you in this story that he has something for us. In fact, he gives us three things in this passage. He gives us a benediction. He gives us a mission. And he gives us a power. And so those are the, those are the three things I want to explore with you. He gives us a benediction. He gives us a mission. And he gives us a power. So first, uh, a, a benediction. Here's what I mean by that. If, if you drop into the scene in John chapter 20... Here's the scene. You have 10 of the disciples gathered together. This is the first Easter Sunday. Jesus had been crucified three days before, and 10 of them are gathered together in this room. And Thomas isn't there, and Judas isn't there, and Jesus isn't there. And you would have felt Jesus' absence palpably. He is missing. He has been our leader. He has been our dear friend. He's been our, our, our savior, and he's gone. The, 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 the gig is up, and so his absence would have been felt, and what else would have been felt in that room is overwhelming fear. In fact, it even says that in the, in the opening verse, that they had gathered together, closed the door, and locked them, just like me and my dumb college friends, of this, this fear because they just watched their friend and their leader be brutally executed. And they're thinking, well, they're coming for me next. And so they come in the room, they close the door, they lock the door, thinking all the trouble can just stay out there. They're terrified, huddled together, and you would have felt the shame palpably in that room. These are people that just a few days before 
said to Jesus, when push comes to shove, I will be there for you, I will die for you. And push came to shove, and when Jesus needed them the most, they ran. They abandoned him. They denied even knowing him. And so think about this. Here's the first gathering of the post-resurrection church, a group of people who have failed their master and a group of people who are paralyzed with fear and with shame, with grief. And it says in verse uh, 19, I believe, yeah, verse 19, that Jesus came and stood among them. They just look up and he's there, which would have been terrifying, mind-blowing. They would have been freaked out for all kinds of reasons. But you have to wonder that, that they're, they're wondering what in the world is Jesus going to say to us? Because Jesus could have showed up and he said, guys, after all I have done for you, this is how you treat me? I have given myself, I have poured myself into you, and in the moment I needed you, you have failed me. You are a group of cowards. You have let me down. What is is wrong with y'all? He does not show up with a word of condemnation. He shows up with a benediction. In verse 19, he says, peace be with you. He sees their failures. He sees their, their, their weakness. He sees their fear. He shows up into their shame, and he blesses them. Peace. He responds. He enters with grace, with kindness, with forgiveness. The forgiveness that he just earned for them on the cross, he now personally imparts to them. Peace. Can you imagine the, the, the weight that must have been lifted off of them? The relief. It says, it says in verse 20, they were glad, which is a weak translation. And that better translation is they were filled with joy. One translator says, uh, one commentator says, a better way to translate it is absolutely ecstatic. To know not just that Jesus is alive, but he's not coming with a sword. He's not coming with judgment. He's coming with peace, coming with grace. In year two of uh, our marriage, my marriage with Catherine, uh, there was this incident that happened where we were in the middle of a conflict, and uh, I, I don't really remember the details. I don't know what we were fighting about, but I know, I, I remember that I said something or I did something that, that really hurt her feelings, really hurt her. And most of the time when we're in a conflict and I've hurt her, my knee-jerk reaction in those moments is to defend myself and justify why I did what I did, and to blame her for being hurt, that she's too sensitive and this is your problem, which always goes well and whenever that happens. I don't, don't recommend that approach. But in this moment, for whatever reason, I, I, I knew that I had blown it. I know I'd, I'd really screwed up, I'd really hurt her. And you just, you feel just the miserable, just like shame blanket come over you, where you're just like, I am the worst. I'm the worst. And I just this feeling, and, and I remember just looking at her and saying, Catherine, I'm so sorry that I did that, that I said that. Will you please forgive me? And she looked at me and smiled and said, yeah, I forgive you. No punishing look in her eyes. No, I'm going to make you pay for this. No silent treatment. Just, yeah, forgiveness. It's yours. And, you know, we've had countless conflicts since then. But, 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 I remember this moment vividly because I think, really, this was one of the first times in my life where I experienced grace. 
I was in seminary at the time, so I knew what grace was. I could have written a paper about grace. But this is the first time where I really think with a, with a relationship with another human being, I knew I had really screwed up and I had received a kindness and a love and a mercy that I did not deserve. And it was powerful. That's why I remember it because it was so powerful. The immediate relief, the freedom of knowing, okay, we're good again. It's like, it's like she took a pressure washer to the yuck of the shame and just sprayed it off of me. When Jesus shows up to these guys who have failed him, he says peace and just pressure washes it off of them. That's what he does for us as well. When, when, when we are encountering him right now in this moment, you and I show up week after week as failures of people who have abandoned him, denied him, betrayed him. And what does he do? In his word, he doesn't come to you even right now in this moment and say, shame on you. He comes to you and says, peace. He comes to you in just a few moments when we come to this table, and he doesn't shame you. He feeds you. What is a bigger reality in your life? Your character defects, your flaws, your sin, your failures, or his kindness and his grace and his forgiveness? Because if you're anything like me, I am prone to see my defects and what's wrong with me as amplified, 3D, high-definition, and his grace is kind of an afterthought. Failure big, grace crumbs. This is why the old Scottish uh, pastor, Robert Murray McShane, I put it in your bulletin, said, for every one look you take at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Focus your attention on his grace for you, his peace for you. Lean into the benediction. When you lean into the benediction, that's what, that's, that's what, jolts you out of the paralysis to know that he has not come with a voice of condemnation but benediction. That's the first thing. But he gives more. He doesn't just give you peace. He gives you a mission. In fact, look at, um, look at what he says next in verse 21. Jesus said to them again a second time, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He sends them out to do something. He sends them out on a mission. He says, you know, as, as the Father sent me to start this mission, I'm sending you in the same way to go continue it. And so you ask the question, okay, well, what, what is the mission? What is he wanting us to do? What is he sending us out to do? And maybe the easiest way to summarize it, what he wants us to do is to establish the kingdom of God. And you say, well, that sounds pretty vague. What is that? Well, we pray it every single week. We prayed it earlier today. When we prayed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Praying for his kingdom to come, which looks like what? Still too vague, Jesus. Well, he's, he answers. He says, here's what it looks like for his kingdom to come. For thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the shortest, simplest definition of what the kingdom is. For God's will to be done on earth in the same way that it's being done in heaven. When you get to the end of the Bible, the Bible... Scripture gives you this picture of what this mission looks like when it's complete, when it's successful. And what do you see? You see forgiven, redeemed people inhabiting a restored new world. Forgiven people in a restored planet. Both of those things are what Jesus has in mind when he sends his people out. I want you, he's looking at you, he's looking at me, he's looking at his people. I want you to move into the world. I'm sending you out to proclaim 
that forgiveness of sin is available in Jesus' name. And I want you in Jesus' name to repair every spot that has been broken, damaged by sin. And so this is why, as a church, we have kids right in the back talking about the Bible right now. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why we move into our neighborhood and we want our, our friends and our neighbors in Midtown to, to know who Jesus is. And so we talk about Jesus with our friends and our neighbors. This is why in verse uh, 23, Jesus says this weird thing, if you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven. But if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. He's not saying, well, I'm now giving the authority to forgive sins to you. He's saying, no, now you have the authority to offer forgiveness to people. We share that this is available to the world. This is why we do all these things. And at the same time, this is why we link arms with churches and organizations in South Memphis and Binghampton, and we build gardens so that the under-resourced could be fed. This is why we link arms with Advanced Memphis and Organizations like Asha's Refuge and um, Room in the Inn so that people who are experiencing homelessness or people who are under-resourced might have a warm bed to sleep in or a, a you know, warm meal. This is why we link arms with uh, New Ballet down the street who are, who are creatively, thoughtfully bringing art and beauty into the world. You see both of these? It, personal individual salvation and cultural renewal and racial reconciliation and cosmic restoration. That's the vision. But, okay, if you go deeper, how does that come about? How do you do this? Well, two quick things. Jesus gives you a model. Here's the model. Did you notice that he says, peace be with you twice, but sandwiched between those two things. You see what he does in verse 20? It says he shows them his hands and his side. He's showing them his wounds. He's saying, this salvation that is offered to you and purchased for you has come about through suffering. It's come about through sacrifice, meaning that the kingdom of God comes, but it only comes through wounds. James Forsyth, who's a, uh, another pastor who's helped me a lot through this kind of series as, towards the end of John, here's what he says. He says, what Jesus has done for us is the model that he gives to us. What Jesus has done for us is the model he gives to us, meaning if we want to see the kingdom come for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, that doesn't happen by osmosis. That doesn't happen through our comfort. It happens through our wounds. It happens through sacrifice. And so if we're going to be a church, talking about Redeemer specifically right now, if Redeemer is going to be a church that wants to be a church in Midtown, for Midtown, where we uh, really, as our heart and soul, want to see the kingdom come to this part of the city. That's going to come through wounds. That's going to come through sacrifice. And for some of us, that might mean that we sacrifice our vision of what church even is. Because for a lot of people, when we think about church, we think of it kind of like, it's like a spiritual form of a country club. Where it's like this is an organization that exists to provide programs for me or for my children, and I get to benefit from them as a you know, loyal, due-paying uh, member. And if we're going to have the kingdom come to Midtown, then that vision of church has to get sacrificed. That we have to be a church not just for ourselves, but exists for our neighbors, for our community. 
which also involves us sacrificing our resources. That when we think about our, even our own personal finances, we don't consume all of our resources for our needs or our entertainment, but we start to, it, it starts to create wounds. We dig deep, we sacrifice, we give away, we invest in institutions and organizations and people in this part of the city in ways that might feel painful, might create scar tissue over. Or we sacrifice time. Like if we're going to rub shoulders with people that are indigenous to Midtown, and get to know their concerns and their needs and their challenges, then that's going to that's gonna cost my calendar something. I may not be able to spend the time that I used to spend with people that I would probably prefer to spend time with. It'll cost you fun. It'll cost you reputation. It'll cost you comfort. The point is, is that the kingdom of God comes through wounds. First, Jesus' wounds, and then ours. That's the model that Jesus gives us. Here's how the kingdom comes. Wounds. But he doesn't just give us a model for this mission. He, there's also a logic to the mission. And this is really important. Did you notice Jesus looks at his disciples and he first says, peace. He gives them grace. He gives them forgiveness. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, I'm going to send you. That's the order. Grace first, then action. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm sending you out into the world, but I'm not sending you out into the world in order to gain my peace, in order to earn it, I'm giving it to you freely. It is yours. It is unmerited. It's totally free. Drink from it. Delight yourself in it. And from that, move out into the world with no pressure, no guilt, no shame, only freedom, only joy. If you don't hear that order correctly, if that order is not cemented in your heart and soul, you might hear me right now and think, this is, this is a guilt trip sermon. This is a sermon that says, hey, what's wrong with y'all? Y'all need to step it up. I thought y'all wanted to be a church in Midtown. Y'all need to add this to, a, to this list, the long list of stuff that you're not doing well. Does that sound like Jesus in this passage? No. Jesus comes to his people who have a long list of stuff that they have not done well. And he says, peace. Peace be with you. So this is not a sermon of condemnation. This is a sermon of invitation. A sermon that says, look at the grace, the kindness, the peace that Jesus gives for failures and screw-ups like you and me. Drink from it deeply. Let it wash over you. Let it define you. And from that, move out into the world with the freedom and with the joy that is given to you. We want to be a church that invites people to join us in this mission joyfully because we want to joyfully give our lives away for the sake of our neighbor, for the sake of the life of the world, for the sake of our king who has joyfully given his self, himself away for us. That's the logic. That's the order. Now, we could just end right now, be done with the sermon. I did tell you we had three points, though. So I'm going to be good on my word. I'm going to give you one more. Quick. Where do you get the power for this? Mission, benediction, power. He gives you a power. Because if you think about this, you hear this, you hear all this and you think, bring the kingdom of God to the entire earth? Are you kidding me? I can't even stay on top of laundry. I can't even keep up with the dishes. What are you talking about? I, I, I can't do this. And you can't. That's why there's a verse 22 in this passage. 
Look at it. Uh, Verse 22 says this, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that's kind of weird. Why is Jesus breathing on them? Can you imagine somebody coming up to you and just, (sighs) I mean, this this is also in a historical moment prior to uh, breath mints. So, you know, this, is, this had to have been next level. Um, well, here's why Jesus is breathing on them. He's, he's reenacting the, the creation story. You remember, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, God creates mankind. He forms man from the dust of the earth, and it says that he breathes the breath of life into them, and they become, he becomes a living being animated with the life, the breath, the spirit of God himself. And here is Jesus with this inauguration of this new creation, breathing his life, his spirit, his living breath into the church, which means that Jesus doesn't give us a mission and then say, hey, good luck. He gives us the resources that we need to go and do the very thing he's called us to go and do, which is himself. You know, if you were to uh, come up on stage right now and I were to say, hey, sit down at that piano real quick, and I want you to compose a piece of music, something similar to what Mozart would have done, you would say, I uh, can't do that. I don't know how to play hot cross buns, to be honest with you. I don't know know how to play a piano. Uh, If someone were to ask you to compose something like Mozart did, you'd say, you know, dude was like a phenom. He was a freak. I don't have his instincts. I don't have his desire. I mean, I don't know how to think like that. I can't do that. But what if, in a mysterious way, we were able to take the spirit of Mozart and put it inside of you so that now you have access to his genius, access to his desires, access to his decisions and instincts, then you could play like Mozart could. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm putting my very spirit in you to give you the ability to do things that you in and of yourself can't do. Because if you're anything like me, you say, okay, I don't have the capacity, I don't have the bandwidth to sacrifice like this for my neighbors. I don't have the desire, if I'm honest. And I don't really have the, um, I don't have the creativity, I don't have the ingenuity. This is why Jesus gives us himself, so that we have access to his genius, access to his instincts, access to his desires. So, if you're someone who follows Jesus, and you feel the Spirit may be nudging you, where is the Spirit pressing you, encouraging you, nudging you to start thinking about, how can I, how can I risk more for his sake? How can, how can I stretch more, dig deeper, sac- give away more, knowing that it's going to be okay, knowing that he is with me? But that's what the Spirit does. Is he calls us to walk with him as he nudges us to do things we might have thought five, ten years ago was crazy. So here we are, all of us, um, stuck in different ways, paralyzed with fear, shame, fatigue, depression, addiction, whatever it is. And here's what the risen Christ does as he meets us. He gives us a benediction. Peace. You didn't earn it. It's free. It's going to be okay. He gives us a mission. He says, you you have a role to play in this. You have a job in this big story. And he says, I'll be with you. 
He gives you the resources to do the very thing he's called you to do, which is really good news. Well, let me pray. Father, I thank you that you do not see us in our defects and our failures and our paralysis, and you uh, are embarrassed of us, that you're ashamed of us, but that you delight to move towards fragile, weak, needy, overwhelmed people like us, and you give us your blessing, you give us your grace, you give us your kindness. You involve us in this thing that you're doing in the world, which is so dignifying. It's so kind for you to even use us when you don't have to. And it's so kind of you to give us yourself as we go. So, Father, please help us to be aware of your presence with us. I pray that you would help to jostle us, jolt us out of the ways that we feel stuck. And I pray that your kindness and your grace would not just be abstract theoretical data that we forget about, but it would be life-changing, soul-renewing, just overthrowing everything in us that wants to hate ourselves. Help us to know your love, your presence, and your kindness in a transformative way right now and right here. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.